Thank you uh, for sharing your faith story, Bruce. I enjoyed listening to it. Um, as we, there was a group of people that have been helping plant this church, and we went through our testimonies, and Bruce never got to share kind of his faith story. So it was the first time that many of us were hearing it. Um, and I love about his faith story that it really illustrates our mission. Our, our mission as a church is to make, mature, and multiply followers of Jesus. And you saw that in his story as he really committed to Christ, and then he matured. He realized that he needed to, to be in a situation where he was growing, and now he is multiplying as he's helping out with this church and trying to give back. Um, so that's kind of our, our mission statement, and we're in the second week of the mission statement, so make mature. So tonight we're focusing on maturing people in Christ. Let me say a quick prayer for us, and then we'll begin. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you do uh, give us the opportunity to learn about you, to grow, and to mature. We pray that even tonight uh, that we'd become more and more like Jesus. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So what would happen if you never grew up? Uh, what would happen if you never matured? There's actually a documentary out, maybe some of you have seen it, that really chronicles the life of a young boy that never grew up. It's Peter Pan. Disney. He put out this, this, this movie, and it really kind of shows, if you will, the harmful effects of never growing older. If you look at this story and just kind of look at it objectively, you say, well, here's Peter Pan, and he didn't want to grow up, and because of it, a lot of people are actually hurt and negatively impacted. So some of the things Peter Pan did is at an early age, he somehow ran away to a magical island called Neverland, where he retreated from life and society. So this is a, a case of a missing person already. And then he goes and he abducts, he kidnaps Wendy, and her two brothers, so we already have missing person and kidnapping because someone refused to grow up to mature. And in Neverland, if you're familiar with the, the story, the documentary, uh, you see that uh, Peter Pan uh, takes Wendy and he terrorizes her with mermaids. He uh, torments her and then uh, her brothers are abducted by Indians and they're hunted by Captain Hook, and not to mention that Peter Pan cut off an adult's hand, Captain Hook. I mean, this is not good stuff. The, the Lost Boys want to go home. They want to go and uh, go and join the real life, kind of and grow up and have parents. But then at the end of the movie, uh, they kind of agree, oh, we're going to stay. We're going to stay with Peter Pan. We're going to stay in Neverland and never grow up. But Wendy and her brothers go home to grow up, and I actually think that's a good thing because of all the nice things that Peter Pan did for everyone. Peter Pan is the story of how not growing up can negatively impact others and yourself. I'm sure you've never looked at it that way before. Now, how important is it to grow up? Our, the, the Bible actually uh, kind of lays out a plan, a pathway for maturing, for growing in the faith. Jesus says it is good to grow. We're in the gospel of Luke today, and we're looking at different types of soils where different things grow. 
God wants us to grow. God wants us to, to mature, to become spiritually strong. Because when we grow up, we actually find true joy and we find true happiness. It's funny how if we prioritize our happiness and our joy, often at the cost of not growing up, it can make us incredibly unhappy. So we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 8. We already looked at it. And Luke chapter 8 is really a story. It's, it's a parable. Have you ever noticed that kids love stories? Uh, one of the, the ways we teach the Bible is in stories. And so uh, if you've ever sat in a room with kids and read them like a picture book, that's like the one time when they all focus, they all quiet down, and they all pay attention. And so Jesus used the story format to teach his disciples, to teach his followers, to teach crowds. But his stories weren't easy stories to understand because his stories were parables or, or proverbs. In fact, parables actually had a purpose. They were meant to confuse those that didn't care about them, that didn't care about their true meaning, and teach those that really cared. So parables confuse those who care, uh, who don't care, and teach those who do. So we're going to actually read through the passage again. We're going to talk about each section. So I'm actually going to start in verse 4 and read through verse 10, where it really illustrates this point. So watch for it in the text. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on Good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. And when he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. Now, notice Jesus' answer here. He says, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing, they may not see, though hearing, they may not understand. This is kind of a a confusing thing about Scripture. It's a challenging thing in Scripture that Jesus taught in parables or proverbs in order to teach some, but to kind of dumbfound others. Now, what are parables? They're, They're short They're vivid, uh, they're stories that illustrate a spiritual truth or kind of a spiritual reality. Now, some of the parables uh, in the Bible, maybe you're familiar with if you've read the New Testament. Some of the the most famous parables are the parable of the prodigal son, uh, which has so much truth packed into it, uh, but it's about redemption and uh, God's forgiveness There is the story of the Good Samaritan, which teaches us about forgiveness, about loving our neighbor, about who our neighbor is. There's the story of the unjust steward, which uh, is a story of uh, someone uh, not loving like Christ has loved them, not extending that same grace to others. These are all parables, but they're told in kind of a a story format that's sometimes confusing. It's a a metaphor. and they teach something that is true, based on God's word. Now, Jesus taught in parables in order to confuse those who had bad intentions. 
So Jesus is a miracle worker. He, he taught. He, he did amazing things. You know, he, he, he broke loaves and fishes and multiplied them so he could feed 5,000 and 4,000. And so people would come to Jesus and they would want to kind of get their way, to kind of use him for their own ends, for their own means. And so Jesus taught in parables to confuse these type of people that weren't coming to him to really learn God's word, to to seek truth, but were seeking power. Or perhaps they were coming to him for entertainment. And so he, he gave them an entertaining story, but that was all they got. Now, Jesus actually quotes the Old Testament because he doesn't only know that some people won't get it. He actually doesn't want some people to get it. And now if you look to Isaiah chapter 6, uh, this is the Old Testament. It's a, it's a prophecy and God actually speaks to Isaiah. Chapter 6 is a vision. It's called a throne room vision in which a man named Isaiah was taken into God's very presence. And he says, you know, what do you want from me, God? Here I am, send me. And this is how God responds what Jesus quotes. He's talking about the nation of Israel, the message that Isaiah is supposed to take to them, that you Though you see, you're not actually going to see. Though you hear, you're not really going to understand. And the text goes on to say, you know, I, I, I sought you, but you're not going to turn to me because if you did turn to me, I would heal you. And this is kind of harsh. The nation of Israel has delivered a harsh message from God. And why is that? Well, if you look actually one chapter earlier in the book of Isaiah to Isaiah chapter 5, it actually parallels our passage a little bit because it talks about rich soil. In Isaiah 5, God planted Israel, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, in what he calls a vineyard on a fertile hillside. And it yielded only bad fruit. See, God brought his people into a land. He gave them a temple. He filled the temple with his Holy Spirit, with his presence. The people had everything, and yet they rejected him. And so Jesus is perfectly just in saying, you rejected my father, and now I'm rejecting you because you're also rejecting me just like your parents Jesus rejects those that don't really care about him, that aren't interested in learning the truth of the gospel, of who Christ is and why he came. But notice, there's also hope in our verse. It's, it's an encouraging verse. Verse 9 and 10 talks about Jesus explaining the parable to his disciples. He had compassion on those who followed him and was willing to teach them. Now, I took multiple years of Spanish in, in uh, kind of my grade school, elementary school, middle, high. Uh, I took a semester in college, and if you were to ask me to have a conversation with you in Spanish, I would fail. Uh, the extent of my Spanish is about hola, como estas, como se llama, uh, me llamo gato, which means hi, how are you, what's your name? My name is Cat. I spent all those years taking Spanish, but I never learned Spanish because I didn't want to learn Spanish. I, I went to Spanish class, and I was a thorn in the flesh of my teachers because I simply didn't care. 
I saw, I knew there was value. My parents told me many times there was value, but I, I really didn't care. And now I look back on that and say, oh, that's, that's, that's not good. That's a disappointment. Now, how many of us come to church and come and do the religious thing, but we're also not really interested in learning God's word? So it's something that we can do and make that same mistake. Yeah, I didn't want to go to Spanish class, and I didn't want to learn that. But we can do the same thing. We can show up here week after week, week and not really be interested in growing up in God, on climbing that mountain, on maturing, on growing deeper. And so that should be a challenge to us that if we approach Jesus the right way, if we approach him humbly, he will teach us something Do you want to understand this parable? I hope you're encouraged, you're challenged to really dig deep into this passage and see what God has to teach us. So this parable teaches us what type of people grow up in God. Now we're going to read verses 11 through 15 where Jesus explains what this parable means. This is the meaning of the parable, Jesus says. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. So this passage is, uh, this, this passage is a parable that tells us about a sower. So who is the sower? I think it's pretty clear that Jesus is the sower. He's the one, his whole ministry is about preaching the word, about sharing the gospel. Uh, That's what we're trying to do as a church. Our vision is really to to share the gospel uh, in word and in deed. And Jesus has been doing just that. Uh, He sows the word of God, the seeds. Uh, But then, how do people respond? There's four different types of responses. There's, There's path people. There's rock people, there's thorn people, and there's soil people. So we're going to take a moment and look at how each one responds to God's word. Now verse 12 tells us that path people don't let Jesus change their hearts. So this is the first type of people, path people. Now these seeds are scattered on a pathway. Apparently in the uh, kind of the ancient Near East in, uh, in Israel, uh, they would have fields, but then in those fields there were just paths that would just go through it. Maybe it wasn't as clear a kind of highway system as we have. So people would just walk through and kind of beat down the path. And so here the sower sows the seed, he scatters the seed, but then some falls on this hard ground. And it tells us, verse 12 really explains it. So we see kind of the story in verse 5 and the explanation in verse 12. And it tells us that Jesus, like the birds, uh, not Jesus, Satan, like the birds, comes down and steals the message. So the idea of ravens or some other bird coming down, eating up uh, what has been sown, the barley seeds or the wheat seeds. And this really illustrates that uh, if you look at the word heart, because it's talking about those people that let the word of God really sink in deep. 
The heart in, in Greek and really in Hebrew as well, so the, Old, the New Testament's in Greek, the Old Testament's in Hebrew, the heart always really stands for like the whole person, uh, kind of starting at the core of a person, their innermost being, who they are. And so Jesus in this story is challenging his listeners and saying, are you letting the gospel, are you letting the good news about Jesus Christ, are you letting me affect your heart? Are you letting me change you from the inside out, from the core of who you are? Now, these are the type of people that don't let God's word come into them. Maybe uh, the, 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 the message remains purely in the, in the mind, in the head. It's, a, it's kind of a theoretical belief. Yes, I assent to that. Maybe they even call themselves Christians. They say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. But then there's no real uh, understanding from the heart, from the core of what that means, that it requires a commitment, that we're all in. That's really what the heart is saying when your heart is in something. Now, if you believe in Jesus, if, if you are a follower of Christ, you've invited him into your life, and you're seeking to grow, you are not a path person. Sometimes our, our tendency is to go through this passage and say, well, maybe I'm this person or maybe I'm this person. No, if you believe in Christ, you are a soil person. But that doesn't mean you don't act like a path person. Sometimes we, we're soil people, but we, we pretend that we're on the path. We pretend that, you know, I'm not going to engage my heart because that's kind of a silly thing to do. You know, I don't look cool if I raise my hands in the worship service. But heart people, uh, path pe- uh, soil people, remember that we need to engage our hearts. That God not only needs to be something that's a cognitive belief, but it's also a kind of a subjective, personal experience. Our philosophy of ministry, kind of how we want to do ministry at Cornerstone, is this. We value authentic worship that draws people into God's presence. That's only a small snippet of our statement, but that's something that I think the worship team is certainly trying to do, and we see that. And as you come here, you should try to draw into God's presence. This is how we can help people that are path people really develop into soil people. So path people don't let Jesus change their hearts. How about rock people? Verse 13 talks about those on rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no roots. They, they fall away. They wither away. Rock people have shallow belief and wimpy faith. They have kind of weak belief. I like this word wimpy because it really describes what these believers are doing. So they're, they're not true believers because everything is an emotional experience. These seeds are scattered, and then there's no water, there's no, there's no depth. So if the first type of, uh, of soil was purely a, a head knowledge, this one is purely a kind of surface heart knowledge that says, oh, you know, I, I, I receive God's word with excitement. I, I spring up. Maybe I, you know, have that awesome uh, conversion experience. Uh, but then, you know, there's nothing deep there. There's nothing uh, challenging. And so how do we fix this? Well, how do we dig our roots deep into God's word? It's by really challenging our minds. See, both our hearts and our minds are important. We need to uh, kind of lock our will around the gospel. Understanding kind of the, the, the core belief, uh, kind of the core statements of our faith. That Jesus really died, he really rose. 
what is things like justification, sanctification, challenging ourselves to learn kind of the faith, the doctrines. And so how do we change uh, rock people into soil people? What's, what's some of the ways that we at Cornerstone are seeking to do this? to really help people grow in their understanding of God's word, of the Bible. Well, we're doing things like memorizing scripture. That's, that's an important piece, actually, helping us grow and focus our mind on God's word. But one of the really cool things that we're doing here soon is small groups. So small groups at Cornerstone are starting in just a few weeks uh, in November, and they're a way that you can uh, build community uh, and you can grow as a disciple. That's really the kind of the main purpose of small groups. And what helps us weather the storms of life? So if, if Satan comes and puts us through a trial, puts us through a temptation, what's, what do we need to help get through those tough circumstances? We need community. We need brothers and sisters in Christ that can walk with us through those awful, awful circumstances. And also, small groups help us dive deep into God's word. We're going to be reflecting on the sermon passage, kind of going even deeper than on a Saturday afternoon message. So I encourage you to sign up for them. Now, we act like a path person when we disengage our hearts, and we act like a rock person when we disengage our minds or our wills from Jesus, from the faith. But thorn people, what are thorn people? They are those that care more for profit and for power, profit, and pleasure than God. So these seeds are scattered on soil that is full of thorns uh, that choke, uh, that chokes the word of God. Uh, Another way to say choke is drown. That's such an interesting translation that uh, for some reason these seeds are scattered, but they never make it to the surface. They never produce any fruit. Now, these are the types of people that, uh, that suffocate from worry, uh, from riches, and from pleasure. Now, each one of those things can be a real hindrance to our walk with God. Uh, anxiety, if you're burdened with stress, uh, because you're, you can't control life situations, that's really a power issue. You're saying, God, I want to be in power over my life, not you. And because we're not in power, well, the, the only other response is stress, anxiety, fear. Uh, riches also have a way of taking our mind off God. When, when we're really doing well financially, well, it's, it's, it's easier to not trust in God. My dad uh, would say, uh, you know, that he learned to trust in God the most in times when he had the least amount of money. Now, at Cornerstone, we really care about you giving this area of your life to God. That's kind of a joke, but I'm serious. We, we do want to teach that God calls on all aspects of our life, including financially. We're a church plant, and we need donations. We need a tithe, and we need an offering. And that's what God does. That's what we do as a church every week. Uh, And this is a part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, committing everything to Christ, your whole life, everything, including those things that we hold most pleasure, uh, hold most dear to our hearts, like our finances. And then the final word uh, is the word pleasure. Now, this word is where we get our modern English word hedonism. 
Hedonism is a pursuit of pleasure or sensual self-indulgence. There's nothing that can be more binding on a person's life than sex, than choosing that over God, that has a way of kind of getting into our lives. And that's really what this word is talking about, that misused outside of marriage, it can really hurt us and can really harm us. Notice how these good things that God has all intended uh, for us, the, the kind of to trust in God, to uh, have finances, to uh, enjoy pleasure, these are all things that were originally intended for our good, but when we become consumed with them and we put our eyes on them instead of God, we become thorn people, we become people that don't mature as God intends. So we act like path people when we don't love God with our hearts. We act like rock people when we don't love God with our minds. And we act like thorn people when we love ourselves more than we love Jesus. So what are soil people? What are the good people that you already are in Christ but you're working to develop? Well, soil people believe from the heart. They persevere when it's hard and they look to Jesus for happiness. So soil people are the exact opposite of all three of those types of people. They are those who have a noble and good heart. In other words, they're all in. They believe from the inside out. They say, God, I'm not afraid to engage my emotions with you. But they're also God's, they're also God's people who hear God's word. They retain it and they persevere as they engage their minds and their wills in the truth. See, not only do they know subjectively that what they believe is true, they know objectively as they study God's word. And they know that they are indeed purchased in Christ. And when you put verses 14 and 15 together, it teaches us that, that good soil also finds its joy, its pleasure in Christ, in God. So what does good soil do? Good soil is soil people that believe from the heart, persevere when it's hard, and look to Jesus for happiness, that find their utter and complete joy in him. If you believe in Jesus, if you've put your faith in Christ, you are good soil. It's not something that you have to achieve, but we do have to develop it in our lives. We need to cultivate the soil. Now, farmers in, in this time period, they would actually do it opposite as we do it today. So today, you go out and you plow your field and then you put down your seeds. Maybe some of you have put seeds in your yard and you maybe poke some holes in your yard or you do something along those lines. Uh, well, that's the opposite of what they did back in Israel. They would actually scatter all the seeds and then they would plow the field to cover the seeds. And they did this to protect the seeds because they didn't want the birds uh, to come and, and get the seeds. So how are we as a church and how are we individually kind of tilling the soil? How are we cultivating the ministries that God has given us? So if you're a follower of Christ, Christ has given you your own personal ministry. It's wherever you are Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. It's where you are every single day of your life. That is your first ministry. And so a hard question to ask is, how am I seeking to reach others with Christ there? Whether it's my family, whether it's my career. Because this is our first and our primary ministry. A simple step you can do is not to go out and send like a blast email, everyone come to Jesus. A simple step you can do is just simply begin to pray for those around you. Pray for those that God has brought you into ministry with. 
Pray that God will provide you with an opportunity and then just follow the Holy Spirit's leading. Now, how are we as a church, as Cornerstone, trying to till the soil in Westford? We're actually doing a, 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 toil, a soil tilling this Saturday with the trunk or treat. You uh, received that notice in the bulletin. That is an opportunity that we're going to be out in our parking lot inviting our friends, and we're trying to till the soil. We're trying to form new relationships. We're trying to invite people to the church. We're trying to get to know our community. Now, this, uh, this Saturday is not the harvest. It's just a part of the step of getting ready for the harvest. So we'll see when God brings the harvest, but we're going to go out and we're going we're to plant seeds. And this is important because soil people are the type of people that help other people grow. Soil people help other people grow. Notice that Jesus has to reveal the meaning of this parable to his disciples. They they don't just get it. No one is naturally noble and good of heart. Jesus has to reveal this to his disciples. He has to to kind of send his Holy Spirit into their lives to help them trust in him. And it's no different from us. Now, this has a very practical application for how we view those around us. See, it's a miracle that anyone believes in Jesus. It's a miracle that you believe in Jesus. No matter how good an upbringing you had, It's a miracle if you trust in Christ because the Holy Spirit has revealed that to your heart. So that means when we look around ourselves and we look at those around us and we say, you know, that person isn't good soil, that's completely wrong because no one is good soil unless it's through Christ. And so it's our job to not try to figure out, well, who's the the person that will respond to Jesus? It's our job to to, to kind of cultivate our soil, but then also to, to scatter the seed. And notice that the sower, he just scatters the seed. He just scatters it everywhere. It's just kind of crazy, just kind of throws it out there in places where, you know, it, it isn't so good. But it also lands in places where seeds do sprout up and grow and produce a crop a hundredfold. You never know who God is going to change. That's why we invite people to church, because you just never know who is good soil. You don't. The most unexpected people grow the best fruit. So I actually think the key to this parable is not only Jesus' explanation, but it's actually the first three verses that set up the whole passage. So I'm going to go back to the beginning, a couple verses that I skipped over, and I'm going to read them. And they teach us that Jesus loves people that don't look like good soil on the outside. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. See, God surprises us with the type of people he thinks makes good disciples. So if I were to start like a traveling uh, evangelism ministry and I was trying to, you know, go throughout New England and, and, and kind of convert people, I don't think I would invite someone who had been possessed by a demon or someone uh, who's married to uh, kind of a, a, a man in power who was really abusing the Jewish people. 
So Mary Magdalene had seven demons cast out of her. And many, maybe some of you, when you think of Mary Magdalene, you think of like this beautiful woman who Jesus kind of took out of an immoral lifestyle. Well, that is purely kind of church tradition, kind of church thought. If you actually look at the Bible, it just says she had seven demons. And if you look out the rest of Scripture, people that had demons usually had mental problems. They usually had emotional problems. Sometimes they could foretell the future. They could prophesy. Mary was a broken woman. She wasn't a good woman that people would look up to, and yet Jesus freely lets her associate with him because that is good soil, a broken person. And Joanna's husband managed Herod's, Herod's household. Uh, Herod, uh, he's, he's famous uh, for marrying his brother's wife. And then at some point in the story, Herod uh, removes John the Baptist's head, decapitates him. Who is John the Baptist? John the Baptist is the cousin of Jesus. Jesus was letting someone, whether before this story or after, I'm not exactly sure, John was letting someone, or Jesus was letting someone associate with him who would murder, kind of be in a line of work that would result in his cousin's death. These are the kind of people Jesus loved and saw as good soil. So is there anyone in your life that you can possibly look at and say, they're not good soil. Jesus removes that possibility from us. He says, anyone can come to follow me and anyone can mature in me and grow and be one of my most dedicated givers. These women supported Jesus out of their own means. They were committed entirely to Christ Jesus and their examples to us. The most unexpected people grow the best kind of fruit. And soil people, you and me, we help other people grow. Now the gospel account, we're going to close here, the gospel account says that good soil produces crops uh, that uh, produce a hundredfold. So our, our Luke account only mentions the hundredfold. But Matthew and Mark, so they're the parallel gospels, they say a hundredfold, sixtyfold, and thirtyfold. And so we don't really know why Luke says, you know, only a hundredfold, but I think he likes to kind of mention the biggest results, the most fruitful possibility. He wants us to dream big to see what God can do through us. As a church plant, we should be praying that God multiplies our ministry a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold, that he does what he's calling us to do here in Westford through us. Now, as a church, I love this imagery of an actual church plant. So we're a new church. And what is, what is a plant supposed to do? It's supposed to dig down deep its roots into the soil. Uh, maybe some of you grow plants inside your home. And you know that if you, uh, if you never take the plant outside of the house, its, its root system will be very weak. You need to put the plant outside in the wind uh, for it to kind of be blown over and really strengthen itself. And so we, in the same way, need to get outside and to, to get out where there's a little bit of pressure on us. It's a great step that we're doing the trunk or treats. And we need to kind of spread our gospel seeds all over this town, uh, spread our leaves everywhere. We want to be uh, kind of like a, uh, a vine or a weed that spreads everywhere. And maybe that's not the most beautiful image, but did you know that weeds actually sometimes are really beautiful? If you've ever seen a field of dandelions and daisies, white and yellow, that's beautiful. 
And they grow everywhere. Clovers are also beautiful and their weeds. Uh, the sumac tree with its crimson red seeds and goldenrods, these are all weeds, and yet they produce beautiful flowers. Now, there's a, a flower in New Zealand uh, that is called the lupine flower. And it's not native to New Zealand, but when it got there, it took over. So here's a picture of the lupine flower. So if you go to New Zealand, you'll see them everywhere in parts of New Zealand. The lupine flower came and was an alien in its country. And you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are aliens to this world. We don't belong here. We belong in heaven with Christ. But God has sent us here to multiply like the lupine, to spread our seeds, to be like a weed that digs its roots deep into Westford. Soil people cultivate the land. They, they spread out. Soil people believe from the heart. They persevere when it's hard and they look to Jesus for happiness. Soil people help other people grow. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for this opportunity to learn about growing. And that, and that in a funny way, when we turn our eyes to you and we turn our eyes to others, it helps us grow. Would you help us mature? Would you help us uh, form community through our small groups? Would you help us uh, dive deep into your word through these groups as well in discipleship? Would you help us learn the very word of God? Bless this offering, God. We recognize that tithes and offerings are a way of maturing. They're a way of loving you and they're a way of loving each other as we fund the ministry that you have brought into uh, Westford. In Jesus' name, amen.